Welcome back to the Academy Table. I'm Renee Silva, CEO of the Academy and your host, and we're happy to have you back with us again. As some of you may know, I sit on the board of Innova Health System in Northern Virginia. In that capacity, I've gotten to know Stephen Jones, President and CEO, and our guest today. Dr. Jones is a humble, clear, and focused leader, and that comes through in our discussion today. Since joining Innova three years ago, he has driven the organization to become relentlessly focused on patient care and quality, or as I like to think about it, just getting back to basics. A couple of things I'd like for you to listen for. First, pay attention to the many ways Stephen has integrated that care-first vision throughout the organization. Across our conversation, he addresses how this mindset applies to all things and all people, from new hospitals and research and from clinicians to IT experts. Next, Stephen shares the ongoing work Anova is doing to build a culture of well-being and safety for employees. Now, more than ever, health systems across the country are ensuring well-being as a core value, not just another one-time initiative, and Stephen shares some valuable insights from their journey. And lastly, Innova was an early mover in announcing a COVID vaccine requirement for all employees at the beginning of June. I love Stephen's explanation on their decision-making process, including how that requirement may serve as a competitive advantage in attracting talent and patients. So with that, let's head to the table. Stephen, welcome to the table. Happy to have you here today. It's a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. So two weeks ago, we were having a conversation with many of your health system CEO peers on the topic of what do we all collectively see as the vision for healthcare taking a 10-year aperture. We call this Horizon 2030. And as you recall, we talked about many of these forces converging, the future of consumer, how do we really think through payer and provider relationships, how do we make, meet the needs of our workforce, I wondered if you could comment on your vision for ANOVA in the context of all of these themes. You know, I think that people tend to predict huge changes in the future, most of which don't end up coming true. And so I guess my boldest prediction is that I think that things will be less changed than a lot of the the visions that get thrown out there. But I think that that what you're going to see is that we're going to increasingly have relationships and continuity of, of, I'd say the continuity of care, a a connection to our patients across the continuum of care. I think what patients aren't going to want is to be disaggregated as much as those predictions are coming, quite the contrary. They want solutions uh, for their problems, birth to birth to end of life. And I think that the biggest thing will be that you'll see that get more realistic than some of the technology things that uh, many people are talking about. So I appreciate this about you in terms of your very practical, pragmatic approach to how you think about healthcare. So, so your, your response to that is in line with how I've gotten to know you across the last three years. So when I think about your three years across the ANOVA system, I think about your really relentless focus on, I think about it as getting back to basics in some way, delivering solid patient care, just all of the things that are table stakes, but really are not table stakes if we, if we, if we want to make sure that we're delivering good care. So in that context, talk a little bit about 
in some ways, when I've seen your peers across the industry go to things like diversifying revenue beyond patient care or investing in innovation arms, I see you putting your head down and thinking through, how do I ensure that every interaction with the patient is high quality, physician-led or clinician-led? Just talk to me about how you've thought about that over the three years that you've been with leading the Innova system. Yeah, I think it's tempting in every industry, including healthcare, to think in terms of how I, I change and do very different things. And we know that throughout history, most of the business, I think literature would suggest that that doesn't succeed very often, that, quote, sticking to your knitting is how people succeed. So I look at transformation as being my number one job. And I think it really all comes down to really two key pieces, which are developing the right culture and the, my, the right mindset, which are pretty related but it goes back to what you heard me talk about, having a relationship with the patients. I think that at the end of the day, if we can achieve a situation in which patients think of themselves as having their ANOVA, my ANOVA, then it'll, we will have solved the problems that, that they come to us to do. There have been three factors that I think are critical for us to do that, and they are people, excellence, and becoming a true system. And, and that everything we've done since the first day that I came to ANOVA has gone back to that. If you think about people, that's the patient care that you've uh, referenced. And of course, making this the best place for patients to get their care. Excellence, which we fortunately had a great foundation before I came. And then unlike what you've seen as criticisms of uh, systems across the country, truly becoming a system built on our patients and not other, any of the other things that, that we could get distracted by. And so if, if you stay with that relentless focus on, on, on your patients, and I, I think about this broader conversation around consumer, and I think of it as you, you want to create an environment where patients choose you, they are adherent to their care plan, they, they, they want to be engaged with you across the long term. I know a key part of your approach in ensuring that that stays enduring does come back to some of the investment really around, I'll call it the omni-channel, the physical infrastructure, as well as the virtual components. Talk a little bit about the uh, plans that you have for the Alexandria market, which for those of the, the folks who are not in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. But many, while many of us are having this conversation around how do we think about asset light strategies, I think Anova is doing both, pursuing some physical infrastructure investment, wrapping that around virtual engagement. But talk through your plans for that project. I think there's lots of people predicting the end of hospitals. And I think that that's ridiculous is that there will always be a need for physical care, but I think that hospitals will increasingly go towards. So if you look at the situation here with our new Alexandria hospital that we're planning, you mentioned is that I think that hospitals will be procedure rooms. So in operating rooms, labor and delivery, there'll be intensive care units, and then some aliquot of beds that'll be required for the things that happen after that, before you're ready to go home. But what we're doing is building in place a flexibility that I don't know what healthcare is going to look like in 20 or 30 years. I've already told you that, but the more flexible that the rooms are, so they can be an ICU or an inpatient room or potentially even an outpatient room. If things go more ambulatory than even we all believe, then that flexibility will be there. The technical piece, because you reckon you mentioned our investment in that, the, the technology piece of that will absolutely interrelate with what happens in the in the physical. So that if you go back to that connection with our patients, in my ideal world, they would be connected to us in some form electronically a lot of the time and physically when they need to. And again, we're building this in in a flexible way that hopefully no matter all these projections that come or projections that come forward, 
that whatever we build and invest in will be able to be accommodated in that future. So Stephen, in some ways, you've had the benefit of really seeing how COVID has impacted care delivery. Have you taken any of those real-time learnings and infused them into the plans for the new, the new infrastructure? It's actually amazing how much COVID did affect that. And so it goes back to the flexibility and that when you saw how many rooms we were converting to negative pressure last year by the dozens, literally uh, over 200 rooms that we converted to that, our new facilities will be able to accommodate that preemptively. Now, they won't all be necessarily wired and have the the HVAC in to be able to, to do air circulation, but we will absolutely, if we have the next pandemic come along, be able to convert that. There's a real expense to doing that, but it, we found out how expensive it can be to do it post hoc. So we're building that into all of our new facilities. So I want to stay on this thread of, and I should say for our, our listeners, I get a chance to interact with you as also a board member as part of ANOVA. So I, I have this, this really inside glimpse, which has really been a privilege for me. But one of the things that I've also appreciated in this in this construct of just focusing on the basics and just being of service to the community is you have been one of the early voices among health system leaders on the importance of mandating COVID vaccination for your employees. Can you talk about that in terms of why you decided to be an early mover on that? And just how has that decision played out now with the benefit of many of your peers also moving in that direction? When you announced it about a month ago, I think you were one of maybe a handful of health systems moving in that direction. Yeah, we were probably the fourth or fifth to really mandate it. In other words, not only say we're going to do it, but give a date and make it a condition of, of employment. And our, we were hopeful that more people would jump on quicker than has happened. I think we're seeing a little bit of a capitulation on that now. But it became clear to me that the science was too clear cut on this. Many of my colleagues have said they want to wait on FDA approval, full approval, but that's a bureaucratic decision. That's not a scientific one. These vaccines, we've got three and a half billion doses worldwide at ANOVA. We've given almost a half million uh, doses ourselves until, frankly, people stop showing up. So the science was so clear cut that I didn't see that that doing that waiting any longer would do anything other than put additional people at risk. And as you see the surges that are coming right now, uh, it's clear cut to me that we probably should have even considered doing this more quickly. Like everyone else, one of our concerns was the possibility that we would lose team members. And so we wanted to give people time to digest that and be respectful of the fact that there are reasonable reasons for people to be uh, shy about getting the vaccines. But it became clear cut that the science was going to drive our decision. It ties to our care mandates as, as following best evidence. And so we will lose some people as a result of that, but we hope that it'll be people who eventually do decide that this is the safest thing to do and want to come back. And hopefully we won't have uh, competitors who take advantage of that. I think that's great. I, uh, I applaud I applaud that move. We're also seeing with, within health systems and then the broader industry, even the federal government announcing plans to move in that direction. So that is a bright light. I, w- I want to stay on that science piece for a second. So you are a physician by training. Urologist was your specialty. Uh, very well published on that. So you lead with clinical acumen at the fore. When I've looked at how your leadership has really focused on developing a service line model with dyad or sometimes triad discipline leaders, having that clinical, operational, administrative nursing really coming together. Talk to us a little bit about how that has played out across the last few years. What have been some of the benefits? Are there any drawbacks in your mind? 
we are now a clinician-led organization. The CEO is a physician, and you used the word was. I, I still am, and I got in <laughs> yeah. the clinic last week, actually. And so obviously nowhere near as much as I used to, but that clinical focus goes to, obviously from me right to the front lines. You mentioned triad leadership, which I think has been one of the things that we were fortunate to think through, get great ideas that came mostly from people other than me, of course, which is how it should work. And we have tried leadership, not only at our clinical enterprise level, but in each of our clinical service lines and in our major sites, which is a physician, a nurse, and an operations person. And initially, we were concerned that that would slow down decision-making, and we found that it's exactly the opposite. You get the right voices there real quickly, and as opposed to having to go through multiple committees and thought processes and approvals, at the end of the day, you can come to our leadership triad, bring things forward, and we can make a decision in a few minutes. And if for some reason that decision is not perfect, we can change it in a few minutes. And the real test of that, of course, was when COVID hit and we had to change almost everything we did overnight. And the fact that we had that triad leadership in place allowed us to respond more quickly than I could have ever dreamed that we would have. But again, nothing in this organization happens without a clinical focus to it, including in our non-patient care areas. Even I ask our IT people to think in terms of, you don't fix a computer, you don't make, you know, tech software or hardware work, you help a nurse take care of a patient. You help a nurse and a physician and a respiratory therapist interact on what our patients need. And when people embrace that their role is to do that instead of the technical pieces of it, uh, then I think that we get not only the best people, but the most committed people because they see their role as being part of clinical care. Yeah, I think tying or tapping into the the mission behind the work, I think is 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 has never been more important, especially as we think about that in the context of some of the larger workforce and and well being challenges. And so, just against the backdrop of a pretty traumatic year in terms of care delivery during COVID, I think we're seeing a high level of burnout among clinicians and really the broader healthcare workforce more broadly. Can you talk a little bit around how you have really focused on well-being as part of your ongoing commitment to, to culture and transformation? Well, the well-being of our workforce is the thing that keeps me awake at night in that proverbial sense. And the way that we've approached it, it goes back, everything at Innova goes back to our mission to provide world-class healthcare and our values. And so if you take a look at all the stresses we're under right now, when we stay focused on our mission to provide world-class healthcare and our values, including our people, then it allows us to then those things that look like decisions afterward, I think end up being simply tactics, not decisions. Cause we made a, a decision to focus on, for example, the safety of our people. And so whether it's been how we've approached issues with COVID or racial injustice, we have taken all of that with our people as a value and in, in a meaningful way. There's a number of specific things we've done but my real answer to that is, the answer to a question of what the solution would be, is that it's about a thousand different things. It's going to be different for everyone that we are different, different for each person who works for us. So for some people, it's going to be our compassion carts coming around just simply thinking. For some people, they need space. Some people need more people around them, quite the opposite. And so we put in place everything that we can when we talk to our team members, if it makes sense that we can support them. We put them in place and I'll be happy to walk through any of those that you're interested in. 
That's great. I also note that all of this focus on well-being and meeting people where they are is is really against the backdrop of it's it's even harder to recruit and retain talent. So I don't know if you have any comments on that. So how do you think about the meeting people where you are, where they are in terms of the folks that are with you? And then just when we were together, we, we chatted about this notion that the competition for talent has never been more fierce in healthcare. And just comment a little bit around how how you all are thinking about that. I'll even go back to the vaccine mandate, Renee, in that although one of our concerns is we'll lose some people who currently work in our organization, we want people who are looking for a job in healthcare to know that they can go to a place where we prioritize their safety and we've required that people be vaccinated so that we believe that a majority of those folks will actually feel it's preferable to work here uh, because of what we've done. And we certainly hope our patients will do that. But from the very first day I do onboarding with our team members every Monday morning that I'm physically able to. And we, we talk about it right out of the gate that we recognize that we need to make this the best place for you to, to, to be. It goes to a lot of our work on inclusion. We want people to feel their comfort in being in this organization at any given uh, point in time. And then we keep that up. We keep, we connect from things like a buddy system so that you've got someone who can be there to support you when we know that you may need that and not even be willing to speak it up. We have Wellbeing Wednesday, uh, where we have our chief people officer sends out uh, an email with helpful tips. Sometimes they're on mental health. Sometimes they're on mindfulness. One of the recent ones was simply on the fact that the Beltway traffic's getting worse. And we know that sitting in traffic is a stressor for human beings. So even addressing that. And so we've tried to just keep it an ongoing focus of our folks to know that we care about you. We want you to be who you are in our organization. And we'll keep asking until hopefully it doesn't become annoying, what are the ways that we can support you? And, and that we know that even with doing that, workforce in every organization is uh, struggling right now. Uh, we're just not going to hide from it. I think that's great. Related to that, your comment on sitting in traffic, it is, we know one of the major life dissatisfiers for people is just their commute time. And we've seen that in, outside of maybe direct patient care delivery, I think many organizations have seen some success with hybrid work. Where are you on this remote, fully in-person hybrid evolution that's happening across healthcare, maybe the, the country more broadly? Obviously, I've put a lot of thought into this. And I think that we're going to be a hybrid organization long-term there are obviously lots of folks that have to be physically here. You know, the most pa- direct patient care is still done physically. And we've got areas such as revenue cycle and, and some other areas that probably never have to physically come in. But I think that for the majority of folks, especially our people leaders, I think the hybrid is going to be successful. And I'll take an example that I was out of town. I did a presentation that I had to do to an, an, a national audience in, in nursing healthcare. And then I was able to immediately go to a Zoom in which we were part of a monthly operations meeting, which I couldn't have done if I were out of town before. And then I was able to go to a physical meeting there. And so the fact that you can indeed be in a number of different places, I think we're going to be able to make work. There are a lot of organizations that have said you have to be 100% physical or 100% virtual. I don't buy that. We found that we can make it work with a combination, and I believe that that will be a long-term change for us. The other part I'll add to that, though, is that at the end of the day, all we are in healthcare are people taking care of other people. Everything else is just a tool for it, and that I believe that physical contact is important and that I think that we will be more in-person leadership than in all all likelihood other industries or maybe even others in healthcare. 
I think that's right. I, I'm with you. You you in some ways have found a way through virtual work to we can clone ourselves a bit. We can be in more than one place at, at the same time. And so I do hope that some of that creativity stays um, intact. So I'm, I'm with you on that. I do want to um, go back to some of your earlier roots in healthcare. And so we talked about the fact that you're still practicing or still doing some amount of clinical work. You obviously have such a strong a strong background being part of the Cleveland Clinic prior to ANOVA in terms of just your the way that you think about research and infusing that into care delivery. Talk about how you think about that in the context of delivering care in a, in a community-based health system, just how you think about really understanding what evidence-based, how does that drive the way that you think about care delivery day-to-day at an organization like ANOVA? It ties a little bit to us redefining not long after I came here, our mission and putting in, ca- in place care imperatives. So our care imperative to best evidence forced us to make a decision on uh, vaccines and also, by the way, led through many of the things as we learned how to take care of this uh, terrible disease. When we put our mission in place, we decided that our mission is not just to provide healthcare, but to provide world-class healthcare. And although, yes, that's a tired term, and we spent a lot of time trying to come up with a cuter word than that, world-class commands us to do research and education. You can't be a world-class organization in healthcare without it, I don't think. so. But it focuses all of our research, education, and innovation on healthcare as opposed to some of the things that may be sexier but they're not, again, tied to that, that core business that we put absolute focus on. Did you encounter any resistance as you were maybe trying to reimagine how research gets embedded into the day-to-day DNA of the organization? And just talk a little bit about around how you, how you push through that. Well, early, fortunately, because I'm a scientist and the editor of an American Neurological Association journal, I think people see how much I value the science of medicine, which to me seems pretty self-evident, but maybe not to others. But there was a little concern up front of if we're discontinuing certain areas of research, maybe that's going to become a lower priority for the organization. But we discontinued areas of research that weren't directly related to uh, patient care. So, for example, we had a drug discovery program. Great science. No doubt that it's important work. But that's work that over a couple of decades, you may or may not end up having something that matters, as opposed to I've got patients in the ICU right now. So our research here is largely related to delivering better outcomes in care. And we've seen it through COVID. We learned so many things in our own research early on. I think it's a big part of why we got so comfortable taking care of this disease within weeks as opposed to months through that research, through that experience, and through focusing on best evidence. Yeah, through the lens of right now, how do I help patients that are showing up? I think that's that's great. So I have maybe a closing question for you, which is part of the spirit of creating this podcast, The Table, is because we all know that one of the things that we've missed through the last 18 months has been the ability to come together with people in an in-person environment and get so much energy from that interaction. So the question for you is if you had an opportunity to curate your ideal table, two people around the table, who would you invite and why? Well, with all we've been through here, I would be most tempted to say my family, but for, for interest in this question, I think there are two people that I would enjoy sitting in, and the three of us having a good conversation. Lou Gerstner, who was a former CEO of IBM, wrote the book, Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? And it's about the transformation, 20 plus years ago, by the way, of IBM. And I recently reread his book, and it was clear to me that almost everything he did in a completely different industry 
it's almost identical to the things that we're doing um, right now at Anova, and it goes back to creating solutions for our customers. In his circumstance, they were CIOs. In our circumstance, they're our patients. So being there as the solution, or as I mentioned to you, my Anova. And the other person I would enjoy would be Amy Edmondson, who is the mother, if you will, of the concept of teaming. And of course, the foundational principle of teaming being psychological safety. And that we've spent a lot of time here in developing that mindset and working on psychological safety and teaming, another one of our values, by the way. And, and that the, the theme there, I think, is that with either of those, they figured out a way to provide holistic, to provide solutions, whether it be building a team or satisfying customers, and in our case, patients. And so I think that to be able to take the best learnings from them and apply that in an integrated health system is will set us up for a very bright future. And I would welcome the opportunity if you can ever set that table up, I'll buy. All right. I'm holding you to that. Well, thank you, Stephen. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. And, and I will say, appreciate your vision for, and I'll say it as bringing sexy back, which in my mind is bringing back the basic elements of the power of sound patient care, the experience when, when you feel like you are you are in a system that's delivering that in an integrated way. And I've, I've loved just uh, your vision for that and how that's played out across the system and grateful as a consumer of all the great care that, that your, your colleagues provide. So, so thank you as always, and really good to catch up with you today. It's a privilege and I enjoy it very much. Thank you, Renee. Thank you. Thanks again for joining me at The Table. The Table is a podcast produced by the Health Management Academy. Make sure you catch future episodes by visiting our website, theacademytable.com, or by subscribing on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you have suggestions for topics or guests, I'd love to hear from you. Please drop me a note at renee at hmacademy.com. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you.